summer? Well, not officially. But judging by the smoke signals being sent up from backyards and porches all over the city, it's barbecue season in the city of big shoulders, big pork shoulders, hot links, chickens, slabs, and rib tips. Shouldn't be any surprise, right? From Miss O'Leary's downtown barn to the legendary Lim's Barbecue on the far south side, fairly or unfairly, the history of Chicago has long been connected with fire. One of the oldest Black-owned barbecue restaurants in Chicago is Lim's Barbecue. As places have come and gone, this institution, founded by some brothers, the related kind, Bruce and Miles Lemons, has remained. It opened back in 1954. Like so many places that sprinkled like Laurie seasoned salt across the South, West, and even the North sides of Chicago, Lim's knows what Leon knows, what the Full Slab knows, and so many others do, and that is this. The key to the barbecue experience is not the fall refinement of Michelin stars, but the sense that you're going to get fed as if you're family, emerging from winter, ready to stride with you, filled with a plate like your Frankie Beverly. I'll be back Depending on where you live, those three letters, BBQ, mean something different. For some barbecue, it's strictly piggly pork, and by that, I mean ribs, either seasoned or dry rubbed or sauce, St. Louis or Kansas City style. For others, it's a matter of brisket. The mo, the better, since the mo better makes it, you know, mo better. And still, for some family grillers, those master grillers, it's Master P, no limit to what can be smoked over coals or wood chips or propane and propane accessories. There's portobello mushrooms, pineapple slices, plant-based burgers, lobster, shrimp, smoked shrimp, grilled shrimp, and you can barbecue it, boil it, brawl it, bake it, saute it. There's um, shrimp kebabs, shrimp creole, shrimp gumbo, pan fried, deep fried, stir fried. There's pineapple shrimp, lemon shrimp, coconut shrimp, pepper shrimp. Shrimp soup, shrimp stew, shrimp salad, shrimp and potatoes, shrimp burger, shrimp sandwich. That's, that's about it. Besides shrimp, there are other staples of a good barbecue joint. Fries, slides, and of course, white bread to soak up that sauce. On today's show, I reunite with food historian and James Beard Award winner, Adrian Miller, author of the newly published book, Black Smoke, to talk barbecue and dig into its special place in the African-American community. Plus, my producer and I eat through some Southside barbecue joints. <laughs> this will be a tasty episode. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Interludes, a pure Lighthouse production. We would like to thank our local title sponsor for supporting Interludes, A1 Pestmasters, 
for all your exterminating and pest control needs. This episode is brought to you by our national sponsor, IYH Entertainment's Your Mama Got Jokes Mother's Day virtual event on Sunday, May 9th, featuring Jory O'Neill, songstress Lisa Millen, and yours truly. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Valerie Johnson. Michael, we where did we go today? Where did we go today? We went to the full, the full slab, the full slab off of uh, 83rd and Stony Island <laughs> for some barbecue. Yeah. Boy, I, I got tasting to start this episode uh, on black smoke. What'd you get? What'd you get, Val? I got barbecue chicken. Uh, I think it said smoked chicken. And then um, there's greens, uh, baked beans, and the white bread. I don't know if it's Wonder Bread, but it's white bread. What did you get, Michael? I got rib tip. I got the tip uh, link combo Mm -hmm. as the woman that was in there uh very impatiently but patiently waiting for her food uh advised me to get Mm -hmm. got greens and green beans on the side Mm -hmm. time to eat yeah so we gonna uh we gonna start eating but then we want you barbecue season y'all we'll go ahead and have y'all check out this uh interview with uh he's a soul food historian adrian e miller here we go Hey guys, it's Valerie Johnson and welcome to Interludes. Welcome back. I would like for you all to say again, say hello again to the Soul Food Scholar. And he is a writer of a new book called Black Smoke. Ladies and gentlemen, Adrian Miller, how are you today? Good. How are you feeling today? Oh, I'm happy because the sun's out and it's getting warmer. Yep. I mean, let's just jump right on into it. Why black smoke? What's the difference between seeing white smoke versus black smoke? Just wondering about the title. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, the inspiration for the title. So the, the book is really um, part celebration and part restoration. So it's a celebration wow. of African-American barbecue culture. Mm-hmm. But the, the also the important part is the restoration because African-Americans have been pushed to the sidelines of the barbecue story. When we were in the middle of it, um, you know, for 200 years at least, African-Americans were the standard bearers for barbecue excellence. And so, but in the last 20 years, yeah, I mean, if you go back and look at newspaper articles, you know, that was the main media uh, of the 19th century. You know, it was hard to find an article. Well, let me put it this way. There are several articles that tie blackness and barbecue. Because, you know, because we were irrelevant, you know, we were doing all the work, but, you know, it it depended on whether the writer would comment upon the African-Americans doing the work. But frequently when they were describing the work being done for the barbecue, they were talking about African-Americans. In fact, in some, when they would put down the process or the recipe for barbecue, they would say, you have to have a colored man do X, Y, and Z. So that's how integral we were to barbecue. I know. It's kind of weird, right? We're like the ingredient, one of the ingredients. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I feel insulted or or, or happy about it. I'm just. <laughs> I know it. it yeah, it brings it brings out a range of emotions. So, um, 
but but to answer your question, so when I was thinking of this title, you know, I just this was I've been carrying it around for a while because when they uh, christened the last pope, the signal for that is white smoke. That's when you know that they've des decided that the next pope has been picked. And when I saw that white smoke, I was like, oh, black smoke. And so I just carried that. And then when I, when it came to the point for the book, that's the title I proposed, and uh, my publisher loved it. So there we go. Right. In, in the series of the books that you've been doing specifically on soul food, hey, we now see black smoke. Mm -hmm. <laughs> With pandemic ending, hopefully and prayerfully it'll be ending, and traveling looking like it could be a part of my life. I don't know about nobody else, but our lives again. <laughs> Where should we go? I, I The two cities, I want to ask, where can we get the best barbecue? Just, just in case someone missed the last podcast you were on that talked about that. So, you know, for me, and this is gonna, this is where the fighting starts and that's part of the fun of barbecue. So my two favorite barbecue cities are Kansas City and Memphis. Ah. Uh, but, you know, uh, recently I would say that Austin has become the, um, the focal point of barbecue these days because uh, they're, they've just been very good at, at being cheerleaders for their barbecue styles. And so so much so that I, I think before the default barbecue style in the country was, I would say, a kind of a combination of Kansas City and, and Memphis in terms of what people had on restaurant menus, the kind of sauce they used, that kind of thing. It's mm -hmm. not the case now. Everybody's looking to Central Texas. And I'll just give you an example. In Denver, we had six barbecue joints open in the last, say, year and a half. Wow, uh, two years because I got I forgot it. I can't, I can't count the pandemic, um, and they're all. I mean, like five out of the six are doing barbecue, uh, can't, uh, Texas Central Texas barbecue style. So that's become the default, and that's one of the newest um, barbecue traditions because that really only goes back to the kind of late 1800s, early 1900s because that's when the Central European immigrants started showing up in that area. But if you're going to talk about Texas barbecue, there are two older traditions. So you've got um, enslaved African Americans doing barbecue in the uh, in Texas in East Texas as late as the 1830s. It could have been earlier. It's just not documented. And then you've got Latinos in South Texas that were doing it before Texas was even a state or a country. And so, um, but those get when people say Texas barbecue, they immediately go to the center, um, and so that just erases all of these other traditions. Oh, and Austin is technically in the center of, of... Technically, right. I mean, it's not exactly, but when people say Central Texas, that's what they're talking about. Austin oh. and, the, and the area around it. Okay, well, that definitely makes sense. I have a, a cousin that lives in Houston, and she's been traveling to Austin for barbecue, and I didn't understand what she was talking about. Yes, I'm talking about you, cousin, so she, she knows who I'm referring to. She listens to. <laughs> when it comes to going out into our own backyards and lighting a fire, to, I guess, to do a barbecue, is there an official time to barbecue? Like, when's the best time of the day to to do barbecue? Well, you know, to me, it's, it's early morning because, um, you know, depending on how you barbecue, it takes time. And the other thing is practical. If you mess something up, you still have time to save it and do something else before people come over. If they're, you know, if they're going to roll through at, you know, four o'clock or whatever. But um, yeah, you know, when, when you can, because um, there's a lot of work involved. So I just say the earlier, the better. Um, so most of the barbecue people I know who are cooking their ribs for like four hours, maybe a little, maybe four and a half, you know, they're getting up at six in the morning because they, they, you know, we want everything to be done by around right. noon. Uh, oh. yeah. 
Oh, so. okay. And and should we wait for Memorial Day to officially start barbecue season, or can that just happen as soon as it gets warm? I think as soon as it gets warm. Well, well growing up, to me, barbecue season started on Memorial Day. Okay. And, and we pretty much didn't, we didn't really go out for barbecue. And uh, we loved it, but it was not a major part of our diet. So we just really had it Memorial Day, um, July 4th weekend and Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So I eat much more barbecue now than I did growing up. Um, but yeah, you know, going to a restaurant to have barbecue, we did that maybe every once in a while, but it was not a regular thing. Unlike today, I mean, you've got people that regularly go out to eat barbecue now. Mm-hmm. And that just shows it's a, the increase in its popularity. Right, exactly. And one of the most unusual things that I have personally barbecued has been a pineapple slices. That's, How'd that turn out? Uh, came out good because I talked to someone that knew what they were doing when it came to, I think you barbecue fruit lighter than you would, let's say, meat. But what's yeah. the most unusual thing that you have barbecued? Uh, I've been pretty uh, standard in what I've barbecued. Um, okay. I would say probably the most unusual thing I personally have done is um, swordfish steaks ah. that mm-hmm. I had with grilled pineapple. It was like a grilled pineapple salsa. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the weirdest or the most unusual thing that I've tasted, mm-hmm. I would say alligator, uh, barbecued alligator. How did that come out? Actually, it was pretty good. Oh. Yeah. Did it make it taste like chicken? Because that's what usually people say. If you cook another animal, it tastes like chicken. I don't know. Yeah. This is going to sound weird to say that. If you you married a, well, if a fish and a chicken had a baby, that's kind of what it would taste like. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Because it, it, it does have a little bit of a fishy taste. That's because possibly alligators is in the lizard family. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know um, specifically, but, you know, um, yeah. they're aquatic creatures, you know, exactly. amphibian. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, I mean, it, it had texture wise, it was like chicken, but it did have like a it had a distinctive taste to me. Interesting. Interesting. How is barbecue you culture? How <laughs> <laughs> oh, you your mouth is watering. How is barbecue culture different in America compared to, let's say, other countries like uh, the UK or maybe even you know Zaire or I don't know Brazil yeah no it's really all over the place so um, this opens up a lot of controversy because first of all it depends on what you define as barbecue because a lot of it's really fashionable right now to say that barbecue is the same all over the world if you're putting meat over fire but I just think that's too expansive Um, okay and then it, it depends on what period of time because 300 years ago Barbecue in the in what would become the United States, the American South, was a very distinctive thing. It was digging a trench, mm-hmm. filling it up with hardwood, burning coals, uh, c- cooking whole animals. So you would either cook a pig, a sheep, or if you were doing a cow because it's way too big, you would cut it into quarters and you would stick poles in that. And then uh, basically somebody had to keep flipping that animal over the burning coals to cook it evenly and then somebody else would be saucing it and then somebody else would be tending another fire so they could replenish the coals so this is why barbecue becomes associated with african americans because it was labor intensive and what's the dynamic in our country if there's a lot of hard work that has to be done a lot of times make black people do it and so yeah. that that's why that's how we get associated with this type of cooking and I'm assuming barbecue takes a different meaning 
among us, African-Americans, let's say, versus Latinos or Asian culture or? Yes, yeah. So, you know, um, when you look at Asian cultures, actually, if you look at a lot of cultures around the world, the way that they are barbecuing is more what we would call grilling. Okay. And it's really just cooking skewers of meat over high heat. So the shish kebab tradition, um, the yakitori, uh, shish kebab tradition in the Middle East, the yakitori tradition in Japan, you know, um, and in, in Scandinavia, you know, they just oh. kind of, they're cooking small bits of meat or just like hot dogs or whatever on a small grill. So it's oh. more like a charcoal kind of grill kind of thing. And then you get kind of pit cooking in North Africa and some parts of Europe. And then you look at Polynesia and parts of the Americas, you've got all kinds of cooking going on. So you've got earth ovens, you know, like the, oh. if you've ever been to a luau, um, you know, you dig a pit, you put, yeah, you put fuel on the bottom, you burn that, maybe put some rocks in there, and then you layer the meat between vegetation to protect it, and then you cover it. Um, so you see that all over Polynesia, you see that in the America, especially South, and given migration theories, right, it's possible that Polynesians brought that to the Americas thousands of years ago and it starts making its way northwards. So you've got all kinds of traditions. And so it just really depends on what you call barbecue. But, you know, as I wrote in the book, trying to define barbecue is like chasing a greased pig. Ah. I mean, just as soon as you think you've caught it and you've nailed it down, somebody will say, well, what about this? And it's hard to argue against that. So one of the big takeaways from my book is that a um, hundred years ago, everybody pretty much had the same definition of what barbecue was no matter where you were in the u.s mm -hmm. but then um when you get to the late 1800s 1900s when barbecue room uh, moves from being rural to urban that's when it starts to really differentiate because it goes from whole animal cooking to cooking parts of animals and so that's where you start mm -hmm. to see people having specializing in ribs pork shoulder you know mutton yeah, all of that that. Stuff. that that happens when barbecue transitions. We'll get back to Adrian Miller in just a moment. Let's check in with my producer and I as we give an account for the barbecued enjoyed at one of the local restaurants here in Chicago. Michael, what do you think? It's, 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 it's okay. You know, it's, um, I uh, just had some, uh, 79th Street barbecue last week. It was a little bit it was a little bit different because I got the slab. I think I should have got the slab. I was I was influenced by the the other people there. But next time I think I get the slab. I wish I had the moist towelettes though. Yeah, I'm I'm still over here licking my lips and stuff. <laughs> I know you were supposed to hit record earlier, but couldn't put the chicken bone down. We didn't put the chicken bone down. We would have had got the reaction earlier. She she eating, y'all. Cause that's why it's like that. <laughs> so if we were to if we were to gr uh, grade full slab from uh, one to ten, and one ten is, yeah. and ten being like woohoo, and one being like eh, I don't think I would know unless I had either some of your fries. If I ate some of your fries, I would really know. But right now, I, I don't know. Yo, them, them can you spare fries? Can you pour it in my hand? Okay. Can you pour it in my hand? I can do that. Cause, um, this is sauce. Can I get the sauce? <laughs> nice. Nice. All right, go ahead and grab. I'm gonna them. grab the the white bread that mm. got the uh that got the the fries on it. Okay. Yeah. I was looking yeah. forward to that piece, but that's okay. <laughs> it was gone now. It was gone now. It's all good. It was gone. 
Mm. But it was delicious, though. The chicken's gone. Mm-hmm. Chicken's gone away. I don't think you can mess up chicken too bad. I think chicken... But then again, you can. I think, Michael, you've had some experience of bad barbecue chicken? I've had some bad experience of chicken uh, barbecue. Okay. Every place that has, has barbecue ain't good. Mm-hmm. Even if they're on TV. Even if they got different locations. Got lots of ad money. That don't mean it's good. We have to let each other know what's a good barbecue joint that you go to for barbecue. If Especially if you don't feel like breaking out the grill and cooking yourself. So, which is the best. best. Cook it yourself. We've been doing a lot of cooking ourselves back in, you know, over this last year and a half. But let us know what is your place to go when you want some good barbecue. And uh, national uh, national um, brands of barbecue places is doesn't count. Yeah. And my people in and uh, my people in New York. Uh, what is that? The Dallas BBQ. No, that's a franchise. Give me, give me another, give me another title. We gonna keep eating. Dallas, they got brisket there. Uh, they got something. <laughs> All right, here we go. Now I'm a part time vegan, not full time, but I'm part time. And ever so often, I love to, um, you know, get this uh, Beyond Burger situation. What, what are your thoughts on barbecuing or grilling a Beyond or um, a fake meat? <laughs> well, I, I think that's. <laughs> I think that's the future because the way that we're raising and eating meat is not sustainable. I mean, if you think about it, uh, think about the explosion and the popularity of Texas barbecue, which usually uh, focuses on brisket. You know, a cow only has two briskets. And if you think about all the meat that's being eaten, that's a lot of cows. And so, you know, the technology is already here where we can um, basically grow meat in a test tube and replicate that uh you've got people that can 3d print meat now what they can't they can't replicate bones yet but they can replicate yeah you can get a printer and you can create meat they've already created hamburger patties so it's just oh yeah yeah the technology is already here so um but you know um i i personally have said this several times whoever figures out how to smoke vegetables fruit um and fish on a large scale Mm-hmm. and make it taste good that's a gold mine and one of the hottest trends in, in black barbecue right now is you've already seen the emergence of vegan barbecue joints so there's a place in yeah there's a place in oakland called veg mob and uh you know that guy's doing quite well and um <clears throat> there are vegan restaurants that have barbecue options on their menu another place i can think of is um the seasoned vegan in new york city they have that's the one i've gone to i've gone to that okay. one so you've had their rib tips, right? Which is the lotus yes. root. Yeah. And okay. I can't believe I was eating that. And I'm like, is this meat? Are we sure? What is this? And oh, it's lotus root. It's a, I said, what? Yeah. And then you've got, you've got other places. Uh, a lot more people have been using jackfruit. I don't know if you've ever had jackfruit. Never had jackfruit. And I and I'm unfortunately don't know where a f- jackfruit comes from. I want to say it's a tropical fruit like mango. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe it's from Asia. Southeast Asia, but I'm not exactly sure about that, but I think it's Southeast Asia. And so um, for people who know what they're doing, they can make jackfruit taste and have a similar texture to pulled pork. And so that has been a very popular substitute. Now, the the problem is, or the challenge is for people that do this is, you know, it doesn't really move that well. Um, 
Because there were several places in Denver that, and Denver's known as, a, you know, Colorado's known as a healthy place, right? So you would think that that menu option would sell very well. And I talked to the barbecue restaurant owners. They said, you know what? Yeah, we feature it, but man, it just doesn't move. So we'll just do it as an occasional special, but it doesn't make sense for us to have it as a regular menu option. So, you know, um, the technology's there. There are so many options. Um, is it true barbecue? You know, probably not, but... We've expanded barbecue so much that, um, and I'll just give you one example. Okay. Central Texas, what people are doing in Central Texas is smoking because it's indirect heat. I mean, barbecue for 200 years was direct heat because mm -hmm. you were cooking right over that. So we've expanded barbecue to now include that. Um, and, uh, you know, even in terms of African-Americans, you know, cooking over charcoal in an artificial pit where African-Americans are cooking hot, fast, and then slow, you know, um, someone could argue that that's just a modified form of, of grilling, but we call that barbecue. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can see why people draw a hard line here, but, you know, I, I just think there's a big dome thinking about a grill where we can put a lot of different styles of barbecue, uh, include a lot of different styles of barbecue. And, and what are your thoughts on the difference? You just kind of gave a little bit of a, of a, a view of it, the difference between charcoal and propane. Does it, does it give a difference in the taste of the meat or whatever you're grilling or barbecuing? Most definitely. I mean, the times that I have cooked with propane, if you're not adding some kind of flavoring ele uh, element like wood chips or something, to me, it doesn't have any kind of distinctive taste. I mean, you have to, you've got the taste of the meat itself, but then you've got to rely on um, additional seasonings and sauce to bring that. But with charcoal, there's a distinctive, um, there is a distinctive taste with charcoal and also a distinctive coloring that comes with charcoal. Um, so I think I think a lot of people when vi vi you know we get visual cues about what we like and so I think a lot of African Americans when they're looking at certain preparations of barbecue there are some things that are going to resonate more than others. Um, and so if you see something that has a little bit of char, it's not as butchered as much, it's kind of messy. I think African Americans will be like, oh yeah, okay, that's probably something a brother or sister cooked. Um, but when you have these well manicured, perfect, you know, racks of ribs and cubes and it's unsauced, you might be like, oh, I don't know who made this. It could taste, still taste good, of course, but you know, <laughs> visually that's not what we're used to. Um, and so one of the big things that's changed in barbecue is the aesthetic of barbecue has been shifted. So uh -huh. most people got their first taste or regular tastes of barbecue from African-American barbecuers. But now that's def that's definitely changed. And so there's an emerging conventional wisdom that is actually moving itself away from African-American performances of the cuisine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this idea that true barbecue should not be sauced. I mean, you know, black, I think black people are like saying, says who? Um, the idea so, that, yeah. So should, so should they use dry rub instead of sauce? Well, I think that's the argument. So I'm just saying you should have dry rubs. There are, there are others that are arguing, well, you should just have salt and pepper okay. because you want to taste the meat. And they're emphasizing having high quality meat. And mm -hmm. why is this happening? It's because we have fine dining chefs in the barbecue game. And mm -hmm. so a fine dining vibe is to have the very best meats and stuff. When, you know, most people will tell you, well, that's not been the case with barbecue. It's mm -hmm. more like, you know, the st it's the stuff that people didn't want or first of all, it was whole animal cooking. Okay. Uh, and then we moved away from that. And so, uh, you know, it was just like just having these parts. 
And a lot of people didn't, as long as the meat wasn't tainted, right, of course. But, you know, there wasn't like this idea that you got to have the highest grade meat to cook because barbecue was not, it was working people's food. So it was not something that's expensive. Because now you could you walk into places now and, you know, you're paying $36 a pound for brisket. I know. $24 for a whole rack of ribs. $20 for a chicken. Um, you know, that's not, that's not the kind of prices that we saw 25 years ago. And you still don't really see that in black owned joints, because I think given the nature of the business, the location and the customer base, there's a lot of pressure on African-American barbecuers in certain situations to keep their prices down. And I, I remember going to restaurants where I thought, you know, I'm in the hood, standing in line, waiting for my food. Um, I thought the prices were reasonable and, you know, people were complaining. $15 for a slab of ribs. Can you believe that? I'm like, you know, some people are paying $10 more than that. And the right. ribs aren't even as good. Um, so it's a matter of perspective, but it's just, it's just, it, we're just in an interesting moment. And, you know, I've had people say, well, then black, black uh, barbecuers should just raise their prices. And I just really don't think it's that easy. Okay. I wish they could do that, but um, I, I don't know what, what would happen. I don't know if the business would stay there. Um, yeah. I just don't know. Because I feel like a lot of barbecue joints, especially the successful ones, especially in cities, did well because their prices were reasonable and you could get a lot, you got a bang for your buck because um, you would have the chopped chicken or the barbecue chicken and, and then that comes with a lot of the sides. So all of that would be $15 or $20 right. because you're, you know, people feed families of five four right. or five people on a $20, you know, full meal at what I think at one point we had here in Chicago, a barbecue joint called Leon's. I don't think the, I don't think he's still in business, but. And no, then he's back. Oh, he's back. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. That's good to I went, hear. I went there like a couple of years ago. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Cause I saw that, I saw he had closed his, his, his joint that was not too far away from me. And I'm like, where did he go? So I'm glad, that, I'm glad to hear that he's back. So if, People want it, and, and I'll ask you this question again, if they wanted to find the best barbecue in their local town, what, what would be a good resource for them to find a great barbecue joint that's reasonably priced? You know, the best way really is just to go on social media and ask people. Good. Because what I found is that um, the local newspapers mm -hmm. weren't always good about covering the African-American dining scene. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the, these places aren't reviewed, um, and there may be, they may be mentioned in a, a roundup on barbecue, but lately, uh, you know, these food writers have been acting like a white dude opens up a place and that's the first person to ever barbecue in that community. And they give that person a lot of love. Um, mm. uh, and then the, the other difficult difficulty is even in our black publications, um, you know, it's hit or miss whether restaurants are advertising in those weeklies and monthlies, you know, because a lot of a lot of cities have black focus uh, publications. And right. so if those entrepreneurs aren't taking the step of advertising in those places, you may not know. So it's, it's usually just word of mouth. Um, and so, you know, what I what I did when I ate my way through the country in terms of research, um, <laughs> I just put out on social media, hey, I want to hit up a black owned barbecue joint in this place. Where should I go? And people will respond. 
Yeah. And, and then you try it and then, yeah. And then I also check, check uh, Yelp and TripAdvisor, you know, all these kind of crowdsourced generated reviews. And mm -hmm. I'm not because I trust the reviews that people leave, because I really don't. But um, if a place is heavily commented upon, I'm, I think like, okay, I should go to that place. Yeah, right. And then, I, you know, I also just tried to spend a couple days extra in a place because then I would just ask people in the restaurants. I just go to black folks and say, yeah, um, this place is good. Where else should I roll to? And they'll be like, oh, you should go here, here, here. And again, a lot of these restaurants do not advertise. Um, and in today's day and age, I mean, I just think if you're not advertising, on the web you don't have a web presence either as a website or on social media you're halfway closed because that's how people are finding you now yeah and i i guess that's the best advice for any african-american owned restaurants that specialize in barbecue to have a online presence and a social media presence where you know they during the pandemic i've heard many restaurants that was their livelihood of being able to say hey we offer our services through this uh through delivery through our website we're still open uh we're not having people come and dine right now but you know a lot of restaurants did survive or they're surviving the pandemic because they've had an online uh presence so that that's excellent advice adrian yeah and, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, a lot of businesses may be like, oh, that's just such a hassle to deal with all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's just the cost of business now. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the other thing I would just say to your listeners, if their favorite restaurant does not have these things and you have some capability, why don't you just volunteer your time and set up their website for them mm -hmm. or volunteer to run their social media account if you love a place and you want to see it survive? Um, because uh, I hope I don't sound like I'm talking out of shop here, but I'll just say in, in my experience is a lot of African-American uh, restaurateurs are very good at making food, um, not so great at running a business. And so I just think um, if they if they were to work on these other things, it would help, you know, improve the because the future is now. I mean, this is not the last pandemic. Right. Um, right. And who knows if we're going to fully ever get out of this because we're reading more about vaccine hesitancy. Not about people of color, mind you, but other other groups of people don't want to take the vaccine. So that means we're going to be in this situation for much longer. So, you know, um, a business is going to have to figure out how to be online, how to have great customer service and how to have an excellent curbside experience. Right. Because that's what people are looking for. And if you don't provide that in this new environment, I mean, it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And wow. I. Black Smoke, African-Americans in the United States of Barbecue. If people wanted to pick up this book, where would they go? So you can go to my website, soulfoodscholar.com. On the navigation bar, there's about my books and you can pre-order a book. It drops on April 27th. Um, yeah. And then it's, uh, it's also available on the major, um, you know, book portals, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all those things. Uh, and then, uh, you know, if your local bookstore does not have that, just ask them to order it uh, and they have them uh, send, you know, get copies because uh, we I want to uh, have I want to support black bookstores as much as possible, too. So independent bookstores, you know, please uh, have them just order it. Uh, here's the cool thing. See, like bookstores can order a bunch of books and whatever they right. don't sell, they can return. So, uh, you know, it's no skin off them um, to, to, to stock a book and just see how it goes. And just, you know, if you get the book and you enjoy it, please tell other people about it. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Adrian Miller, thanks for coming back and letting us know about Black Smoke. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm Valerie Johnson, and this is Interludes. Next time on Interludes. I really had to learn new things. Going through the whole Adobe suite and starting to take on that was a challenge. For sure, we try new challenging things with each episode. We are mixing video and animation. We are doing all sorts of interesting things. And the challenge is always there to us to just keep stepping up that game with each one. And as we do that, we watch all of the actors do the same thing, right? The challenge gets laid down for all of us. And I think that's part of the great collaboration that's happening. We will talk with the voice actors, writers, and tech crew of the newly formed theater ensemble, Hand Forge Fiction, about their nine-part graphic audio drama, Brother Mine, on the next Interludes. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Valerie Johnson and Michael Womble, original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production, brought to you by our national sponsor, IYH Entertainment's Your Mama Got Jokes Mother's Day virtual event on Sunday, May 9th, featuring comedian Jory O'Neill, songstress Lisa Millen and Valerie Johnson. To purchase tickets or for more information, visit the website linktree forward slash pure light media. Our local title sponsor, A1 Pestmasters, for all your exterminating and pest control needs, call A1 Pestmasters at area code 773-365-9962 or visit their website at a1pestmasters.com. To subscribe to our YouTube channel or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website linktree forward slash Pure Light Media. Music